Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Lives. I don't know if you're aware of this church, but today is Palm Sunday. It's the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and all that is about to happen will be revealed. But his disciples are excited and thrilled at the thought that Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is about to bring his kingdom with him. And we're going to read in a minute from Luke's gospel. But the title of my sermon today, and it will be kind of a sermonette really, is Divinity on a Donkey. And no, it's not a Christmas sermon Okay, it's not about Mary. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ choosing and orchestrating to make his triumphal entry very meaningful by sitting on the back of a colt or a donkey, something which I think for the disciples would have seemed like a very strange thing. Would it be okay if I just prayed with you before we begin? Is that okay? Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you, Lord God, that you're probably not who I first thought you were. When I first discovered you, I thought you were demanding. I thought you would be insistent on some things. And yet, I've discovered that you are kind and generous and love itself. I want to thank you, Lord God, that my adventure, our adventure here on this earth is to see you as you truly are. Because unless we see you as you truly are, we can never be who we're truly called to be. So I pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts this morning, that you'd speak life to us, that you'd reveal yourself to us, Jesus. And everything that masks that or hides that from our ability to perceive you, Lord, we just give you permission now to remove. Whatever presumptions, whatever perspectives we have that don't match the true reality of your nature and character, then Lord, we ask that those kingdoms would fall and that your kingdom would rise. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 19 is our reading this morning. Perhaps you can go there. We're going to be reading from verses 28 to 40 together. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt or a donkey tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, I do find the Bible funny because if someone was nicking my car from the drive, okay, I probably would have been out a bit sooner than this. (laughs) They're saying, why are you untying it? They say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them, sorry, and they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw the cloaks on the colt and put it on, put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. And when he came near the place where the the road goes down to Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And this is what they shouted. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Some of the Pharisees, however, in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So today we're celebrating this event. And this event each year comes around at a particularly different date. It's irrelevant where the date is. It's the the moment where Jesus comes into Jerusalem to fulfill that which Christ, sorry, his father had sent him to fulfill, and that is the salvation of mankind. And the backstory to this is Jesus has now gathered for himself quite a crowd. There were people in different contexts and places that had seen the demonstration of the power that he carried. Lepers were healed. People were raised from the dead. Blind eyes opened. Miracles happened in just about every context where Jesus ministered. And on this particular day, this is a day of celebration. The city is filled with all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life. I think it would kind of swell from 50 maybe to 250,000 people in the city of Jerusalem on a day like this. And this is the very day that Jesus decides to make his entry into the city, as I say, to do exactly as the Father has asked him to do, and that is to give his life so that we may have new life. This is, in fact, the fulfillment of a prophecy. In fact, a number of prophecies that took place hundreds of years before Jesus actually was alive. And in Zechariah 9, verse 9, this is what the prophet Zechariah says about this moment. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. And if I'm honest with you, that's probably where most of us stop reading. But I want you to look a little closer at the second part of this particular declaration. Not just righteous and victorious. Not just your king comes to you. But lowly he comes, riding on a donkey, on the colt of a foal. Now what's happening here? is Jesus has gathered these people. They've seen all the spectacular realities of Jesus' power and authority. And in a moment, in one act or demonstration, he's taking them to a new place in their thinking. Because for whatever reasons this is important to Jesus, he wants to reveal his truest nature and his mission here on the earth. And this is the moment that he chooses to do it. He has, in many people's eyes, got credibility. And for many, many reasons, they believe he's the answer to every single problem that they face. And let's catalog them so we can see the extent of them. This particular place was dominated by the Roman Empire. Now, if you know anything about the Roman Empire, it was very cruel. And on a regular basis... Throughout the course of the Roman Empire, if anybody should ever dare to put their head above the precipice and have another idea other than the domination and indeed the lordship of Rome and Caesar himself, then they would be killed. And not just them, their family and their extended family. In fact, the Romans came up with the best possible deterrent to anyone rising above the crowd, and that was called the cross. And in a few days' time, Jesus himself goes to the cross, the cross that was designed by the Romans as the most heinous demonstration of their power and authority and their dominance, and Jesus dies upon a cross for you and for me. And so in this city, all these people are gathering. The celebration has begun, and Jesus decides to turn their thinking upside down. 
Because they're living in a world where they have some idea already shaped of what power looks like. They've witnessed it personally themselves. They've been corporately and in their families destroyed by the greed of the Roman Empire. And there's absolutely no way that anyone hasn't seen what that power can do. Every single person will have witnessed the dominating, controlling, and abusive reality of living under the regime of the Roman Empire. And yet Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, comes on the back of a donkey. He's simply saying something quite different about power. And I think that all of these people missed his point. They're shouting this phrase, Hosanna. And in this context, this phrase means this, save us now, Jesus. This phrase has a sense of urgency attached to it. Almost a presumption, if you like, that if you are who you say you are, demonstrate your power here and save us from all the tyranny and the exploitation of the Roman Empire. Jesus, if you're the freedom fighter, then fight now for our freedom. They expected him to call down the power of God in this moment, and yet he does nothing of that nature. He simply rides a donkey into the city. If Palm Sunday is about anything for us, it's about disappointment. It's about people's expectations of a God they believed in that didn't move in a particular way, but somehow choose, chose an alternative reality in their lives. It's, in fact, the story of the God we all want, the God of might and power, the God who will smite our enemies and move quickly to make sure that any adversity is instantly put right in our lives. In fact, if you examine that thought a bit closely, you'll start to see that it's the God we've created in our own image. Because we need God to look like us, think like us, and act like us when it comes to injustice. And for those of us in this room who've walked with journey, the journey with Jesus longer than 10 minutes, you will identify as I do. That is not how God works. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been so wronged and you've prayed that prayer? God, will you get them? Are you still waiting for them to be God? God, will you expose their evil actions and works? And 10 years have passed and you've discovered, as I would have discovered, that God ain't dancing to your tune at all. In fact, this is what he says, mind your own business, says the Lord, vengeance is mine. He says, I'll sort this out in my time and in my way. How many of us are a little frustrated with that? Why don't you just come now, mighty smiter, and smite them? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> now don't pretend to me that you don't pray those prayers. Don't pretend to me that you wouldn't want a God that looked just like that, who did exactly as you believe is the righteous thing to do, and do it quickly and instantly without any process or any expectation of you. And yet, when I think of Jesus in a few days' time, 
hanging on the cross, gasping for breath, the pure and perfect and holy righteous Son of God. This is his prayer over those who are hurting him. Not like yours or mine, he says, Father, (laughs) Father, forgive them, for they don't have a clue what they're doing. So you may want the God right now to come and move in power in your life, but God has a plan and he has a purpose in every circumstance of your life. I look back across my life and the people I could have smited, I'm telling you what, there'd be a field full of bodies. And don't pretend you're not like me, come on. I've even been in meetings where people are praying judgments on people. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? Oh, come on, you have. Father, for the young people who are on cannabis, please. It's judgment. You may sound like a prayer. You may sound like you're righteous, but you want to punish people, and you want God to deal with people. Tell the truth. And we have this world that we're living in who somehow has taught us and trained us to think that power looks like force. That power is imposing. Some of us, we've come from backgrounds where that imposition has affected us so deeply, we're going to spend the rest of our lives trying to come to terms with those realities. But I want to tell you today that God's power is not imposed. God's ways are not our ways. You see, God doesn't work from a broken heart. He doesn't work from a sinful nature. He's pure and perfect, and all his ways are just. Can you say that of yourself? Would you dare to say that's who you truly are? The best thing I ever heard recently was somebody who was telling somebody off, and when I said to them, why are you so angry? You seem so angry. You're very angry. They said, it's righteous anger. (laughs) I had to be honest, you're neither righteous. (laughs) You're not righteous enough to have righteous anger. Come on. That's just anger. There they are, shouting. You see, I'm always troubled by the crowd. Because the crowd has a life force of its own. And it doesn't take much influence to change how a crowd sees something. You know these same people who are shouting here? They're the same people who are shouting in a few days' time, kill him, crucify him. You can't rely on the crowd to tell you who Jesus is. You can't depend on the culture to show you what God is really like. Hello? There's a wonderful story in the New Testament where Jesus asks the $6 million question of his disciples. He worked with them. They'd seen miracles and signs and wonders. And he comes to them and he says, who do the people say I am? I can imagine his heart longing to hear the responses. And this is what he gets back. Some think you're John the Baptist. Not too helpful. John was murdered three weeks before, three months before rather. Some think you're Elijah. And what they're meaning is you're moving in the power of Elijah Wouldn't you be a little bit heartbroken if you'd given yourself in that way to so many people and they misunderstood who you truly are? 
And yet, right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're warned about this phenomena, a phenomena I think every human heart has experienced. It says this about him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. And he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. Or or you can be in this room singing hallelujah and not really see who Jesus truly is. You can shout out from the crowd and say, oh, blessed is the name of the Lord, and not really have any idea what his nature is like, what his character is like. It's easy in a crowd. Jesus takes it one step further and says to his disciples, what about you? I mean, that's the crowd. (laughs) What about you? And the disciples look at each other because they still haven't quite understood fully what Jesus was about. And they say nothing. And it goes silent in the room. And then Peter, who really is not renowned for his great theology, puts his hand up and says this. Can I answer that question? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, you did not get this from a Bethel podcast. You didn't find this on a T.D. Jakes sermon. My Father in heaven has revealed it to you. You know why that's so important? Because you are so unique before God. He has assigned a specific revelation for you to have of him. He has crafted you to know him in a particular way. You were knitted together in your mother's womb with the capacities he's given you to see him as he wants you to see him. And you should never let the crowd determine how you see him. You should never let the culture determine how you view him. Not when you have access to him. Not when you can come to him as his son and his daughter And say these words, which I think are the most profound words. Show me who you are, Jesus. When I was raised in the Catholic Church, I was told every Sunday that God was unhappy with us. I mean, they never used those words, but the truth is you came out feeling like a worm. And I was bad enough going in, let alone coming out. There was something about the Jesus that they served that was not happy at all. He was miserable and angry and upset and disappointed with us all. And so we'd go every Sunday to Mass after confession on a Friday because you have to get all of your sins sorted out before you can come to church. How are you all doing with that? How are you all doing with that? And I'd go and I'd think, oh God, just let me hear something that makes me feel it's worth coming And I'd come away with a heavy heart. Why? Because the culture had already decided what he was looking like. The culture decided for me what was true. The culture decided for me what needed to happen. And because the culture set the tone, I never met the one who was true. I just heard about him and worshipped with fear and guilt and condemnation in my soul. And the night I got saved, I saw him. I saw him as he truly is. I saw the God of love. I saw the one who came for me. I saw the one who wasn't angry with me but wanted me. The night I got saved, my heart came alive to the truth of Jesus. Why would I let the crowd determine 
my viewpoint and my truth regarding God, when I have been given eyes to see and a life that's been a gift to me so that I can know him. Why did Jesus come in as the king of kings on a donkey? Because I believe he was trying to say, you think I'm like the others around you. (laughs) You think that the kind of power that you've evidenced is a dominion and an authority that subdues people and controls situations. But no, by choosing a donkey, Jesus is demonstrating that God is not like that. God is not domineering. He's not oppressive. Hello? He's gentle, kind. And do you know what? He is the most generous person I have ever had the privilege of meeting. And his leadership is not a set of commands and rules. In fact, when I look at the Old Testament, we've turned some of these things into things I don't think they were ever intended to be. Listen to the commandments. This is the commandments. And they came out of a relationship that existed. For a start, it says, why don't you give this a shot? Love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Does that sound like a God demanding? I think we've turned it into that. He's simply saying, I love you like that. This is how I feel about you. This is what we have together. I love you. I have no, no other motive but love. Will you try and love me back like that? Will you give it your best shot? Could we have that kind of relationship? Could we see restored what Adam broke? Could you come to me expecting that I would work that work in you to such a point that one day, and this is what it says, we will meet him and we will be like him. And if you're ever doubting what the Spirit of God is trying to do in your life, let me remind you that that's just it. He wants to help you. He wants to open you up so that you can love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. That's why he gave us his word, so that we would love him, we would see him as he truly is, and we would love him and want him and give ourselves to him. That's why we worship Not that we would sing songs, but that we could connect with the one who is perfect in love. Because when we connect to perfect love, it drives out all of our fears. All of our inhibitions fall to the ground because we are found in him and we find him. He gave us the Holy Spirit. So that when we open the Bible, we're reading the love letter of God. Every page is full of delight. And of course, like any love relationship. He sets parameters because if you don't make it exclusive, other people interrupt it. Have you noticed that? So God says, it's between me and you thing. Love me with all of your heart. I love you so perfectly. Let me love you that way and love me as well as you can. In all your brokenness, love me with that kind of intentionality. You see, that's not a God who's imposing anything. That's a God who's inviting you to something. It's a God who's saying, look, and you will see that I am everything that you want me to be and so much more. 
And I will look at you and remind you that you're everything I want you to be and more. Let us keep this between us. Let us be intimate. Intimacy says this, into me see. But like so many people throughout the course of history, we think God is trying to control us. We think God is trying to impose upon us his kingdom. We think God is trying to make us do things. You gotta serve here, you gotta give there, you gotta be kind to people. I wanna tell you, you could not be further from the truth. He never asked anything other than this of you. Come, follow me. That's all he asks of you, come, follow me. Does that sound like an imposition or an invitation? Come, follow me. And they're shouting, and they're proclaiming, and they're declaring. And right before them is this obvious picture of a God that they don't understand. A God that they don't comprehend. Now here's the problem we have. You see, we feel so powerless ourselves that when we see power, we're really attracted to it. We feel so helpless in ourselves that when we see someone who's got a capacity to make a difference in this world, we're impressed by position. We are in awe of people who think that they have capacity. And some of us in this room have spent our lives trying to be just like that. And we think that will prevent us from ever being victims to any form of oppression. But you are a victim in the process of believing that that kind of power is real power at all. That's Roman power. That's a power that dominates and castrates the individual heart from ever having life. It's a power that suppresses people to do and to act in ways that are not their intention. It's religion at its worst, and it ruins people's lives. And while they're shouting all this to Jesus, Jesus riding on the back of a donkey is saying, you don't get me. You don't see me. You don't understand my heart for you. You have no idea because you've only seen corrupt power at work around you. You've only seen people who exploit you for their own benefit. And the donkey and the divine come together. If you want God in your life, you're going to have to search beyond that which the crowd says or even that which the culture offers. You're going to have to go searching for him. And I guarantee you this, when you find him, he will take your breath away. You see, after all these years, we're still attracted by worldly power. I've been a Christian 36 years this year. Pastor this, pastor that, past the bread, past the butter. People think because you have a title, you've got something. All you've got is a title if you don't have Jesus. You know that, don't you? It's just a thing people say. Here's another one. Elder this, elder that, elderberry, elderflower. 
You know, we give people titles, and we should only ever give people titles if they have demonstrated the capacity and the anointing and the humility that that title requires of them. God elevates, not man. And if God appoints, God also anoints. If man appoints, and we're impressed, you know, if somebody is charismatic, we're impressed. God help us. Are we, are we that blind to things? If somebody moves in the power gifts, we're impressed. You know, um, we're so easily impressed by the power. I'm just going to say something to you. I want you to hear this. Hear my heart in this. Do you know any power gift has been given by the all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing God? And while you're impressed with the person because they can prophesy... The point of that gift is that you'd be really impressed with the God who gave it to them in the first place. And if you understood how broken that individual was, you'd be even more impressed with the God who decided to give them. But the world we're living in has trained our minds and conditioned our hearts to think that certain things make people powerful. Why is that a problem? Because when Jesus turns up, we can't recognize him. When Jesus shows up in our gathering, unless it's high octane, all singing, all dancing Jesus, we don't see him. We don't even notice that he's there. We're not even aware that we're in the presence of the holy God who delights to pour out his goodness on our lives. Can I just be honest with you? Just because it's loud doesn't mean it's God. In fact, I found the opposite is true. He's not in... The earthquake is not in the wind. God has a still, small voice. And sometimes the noise, as well-meaning as it can be, can rob us of the reality of the presence of God. Some of the most amazing times I've had with Jesus in gatherings like this have not been the high-octane moments where we're all dancing and singing and shouting. And trust me, I have no problem with that. If it's genuine and it's real, go after it. It's better than being miserable, isn't it? Some of you clearly have spent a lot of time doing that. We want to celebrate the goodness of God, but actually, there's a point where you have to ask yourself the question, is God in the noise? Is God in the noise? Why am I saying this? Because you will have found, as I have found over these last number of weeks, that we've had those moments where God has moved powerfully amongst us. Has anybody witnessed those? You've been here? And here's the tendency, because we think that's how God is as a person. That's his sum total of his reality. He just comes amongst us with, with great power and authority and begins to move in our lives. We fail to understand that God is not just powerful, he's also tender. He's passionate, but he's tender. You see, church, he's both the lion and the lamb. And isn't it up to God how he chooses to reveal himself? Isn't it his prerogative to display what he knows we need, even if we're not used to it? So here's how it works. God comes in power and he moves. And we call that his manifest presence. 
Amen. Hallelujah. We cry, we weep, we celebrate, we rejoice because we know he's here. It's clear to us he's here. Then, this is how he does it. It goes quiet. And so here's what we do. Oh, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry if I offended the Holy Spirit. Now, we were on a mountaintop a minute ago, and now we're in depression. And depression is one heartbeat away from oppression. You know that, don't you? Because if I live in a consistent reality that's not the permanent truth of Jesus, I will find myself taken on this adventure. And we learn nothing from the prophets of old who tore down the, the, the Baalish prophets of, and, and the next day was running for his life, hiding from Jezebel. We can be in a moment where God's moving in power and feel when we don't see those things in the same way that somehow he may have left us. And what we fail to understand is that power and the manifestation that God shows us invites us to him. It does not invite us to more power. The signs are meant to cause us to go nearer to him for the one who is the giver of all good things is inviting us to see something in his personality and his character. We should never chase signs. The signs lead us to the one who is God. But we love the drama. We love the fireworks. We love it all. Hallelujah. We're not careful. We get stuck here. God's over here. Wonder how long they'll take to realize <laughs> things have moved a little bit. See, the problem for us all as Christians is God keeps moving. Funny he would stand still. Why does he move? Because this glory <laughs> is meant to change me. When I experience God, it's meant to change me. It's not just an invitation to an experience. This beholding moment gives me the power in him and from him to become like him. And so if he stayed here, if he camped here, I would not be changing. I would not be conforming to his likeness. I would be trapped in an experience. And so he moves, and then he moves, and he moves, and I've got a bad leg, so you should be applauding this movement, and then he moves, because he's committed to taking you into fullness, he will not allow you to camp at something that's inferior to the full reality that God has for you. Aren't you grateful that God is moving in your life? Aren't you grateful Every experience we have is an invitation to look in and say, is that you, Jesus? Show me who you are that I may worship you in spirit and in truth. But we are so starved of power that we camp at those moments and fail to realize that they are drawing us and leading us to some greater experiences of God. God does not hide from you, God hides for you. 
So you behold him, and he moves, and he says, come, discover who I am. And we walk with him in that rhythm. And without that rhythm, we'll just camp around the spectacular. I've been in enough meetings to know that everybody wants the spectacular. I want the spectacular. But you know when you leave here and you've experienced God, the real work has to happen at home. You encountered him, and every encounter is unto something that you would know him. You would know him as he truly is. And who is he? Because in this city, on this day, coming from the opposite side, which I believe is the West, is another Savior, and his name is Caesar. And Caesar is coming from the West, and he's not coming without pomp and ceremony. He's coming with all the trappings of authority and dominion. Caesar's coming into the city of Jerusalem because whenever the Jews gathered around a festival, the presence of those who were in dominant power went up about 10 notches because they did not want anyone to have any wild notion that there was anyone but Caesar to worship. And you've got Caesar and his armies and the trumpets and all of his minions gathering around, hail Caesar, hail Caesar, and right on the other side of the city. On the east side of the city where the sun rises on every new day, we've got the humble God who did not consider equality with his father something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking onto himself even the guise of a servant, servanthood even unto death. And he's riding not on a chariot, not on a profoundly glorious horse, but on a donkey. Nobody pays attention to a donkey in the city of Jerusalem. But upon its back, the king of glory entered the city. Why is it important? Because Jesus is saying prophetically to us, as he enters Jerusalem, the old observations of power and authority are over. The domination and exploitation of people is over. That is what was here. What has now come is a God who has all authority and power at his disposal. And he chooses to reveal that power to the lowly and to the humble and to those who have no way of changing their life. The East symbolizes a new day, and the West symbolizes the old regime. And in the city of Jerusalem, as Jesus comes in on a donkey, the people who are indeed shouting for him to do something immediately cannot see what's happening in the atmosphere over that city. Oppression is gone. That's why we can say as Christians, regardless of what our life experience is, who the Son sets free is free indeed. On one side, people are shouting, social services are Lord. On the other side, the King of kings and the Lord of lords on a humble donkey says, I will be the supplier of all that you need according to my riches and glory. Over here, we've got the dominant arrogance of those who think they are superior and that kingdom is dying. And over here, the king of glory, the king divinity on a donkey arrives in a city and says, power 
imbalances have changed forever and ever and ever. Now on this day, if you were in the city, you would have been easily fooled to think that the people who carried the greatest power were the Roman Empire. It was clear everywhere that that dominion existed. But see, when we allow Jesus to be who Jesus really is for us, this gentle, powerful, beautiful, holy God, there is no dominion or power other than that that transforms and changes the human heart. It's so easy to get distracted by what was and not see what we have. God is here, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he loves you. I love gentle Jesus because I need gentleness. And when I've prayed and said, God, will you come in power? I'm grateful he ignored me. Aren't you? I would be like Evan Almighty that, that created so much chaos. Have you ever seen that film, Evan Almighty? Is it Evan Almighty? What's that film where he creates all this chaos? I, Bruce Almighty, yeah. All the chaos in the world by my imbalances of what power looks like. You have a freedom in Jesus you can never find anywhere else. And he hasn't come to take anything from you. He's come to give everything to you. You have been invited into relationship with the one who was so pure in heart that the merest glimpse of him will transform you. Jesus may not be who we think he is. And I think it's clear that we can even be all singing and shouting the same thing and have very different perspectives of who Jesus is. So I want to ask you today on Palm Sunday, what Jesus do you love? The one of power and might and smite or the one who is accessible to you? What Jesus do you want to serve? The one who demands that you bow your knee, commands that you serve him? He's not here. The Jesus that's here is the one that says, come, let's talk together. Let's walk together. Let's be together. I love you, and I want you to know that. It's so easy to miss him in all the noise and the crowd and the culture and the chaos. And in a world where that kind of power still rules and reigns, it's time that the church woke up to this truth. That isn't Jesus. It was never Jesus and it couldn't be Jesus because this one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped appeared in our world as a helpless baby. That should be some indicator to us of the kind of leader that you and I have. Now, let's keep it real. Our culture plays a huge part in how we see God, doesn't it? I sat in a room about three years ago and to this large Pentecostal church, and I was talking a little bit about the kindness of God. Did you know God is really kind? You're a bit miserable today, aren't you? Do you know God is kind? Okay, and I'm talking about the kindness of God. I look out, and it's a bit like a moment like this where everyone's asleep. I think, I was thinking, why don't, why don't they want this kind Jesus? Why don't they want God who loves them? Why don't they seem to have an appreciation for the God who delights in them? 
And uh, I come home and I always do a critique. Well, my wife does a critique anyway, whether you want it or not, it happens. And she said, how did it go? I said, oh, I was just, oh, she said, I know what the problem is. I know what the problem is. And she said this, she said, they like the Jesus that turns over tables. And you like the Jesus that takes care of widows and orphans. See, we could all be shouting the same thing, but have very different viewpoints on what Jesus looks like. But on this day, I think he clears the matter up for us. You think he couldn't bring all of heaven to this moment, but he chose to demonstrate leadership that's servanthood and servanthood that's kind and generous. On this Palm Sunday, let's celebrate that reality because you would not be saved without it. You will never be healed without it and you will never experience God unless you see him the way he truly is. Stand to your feet for me, please. I thank you, Jesus, this morning, this afternoon, that you have the power, the power within your love to wreck and destroy everything that oppresses your people's lives. Lord, we thank you that you are meek, but you could never be weak, Jesus. For your power is not a power of this world that dominates, controls, or confines It's a power that heals, restores, and renews. And we thank you, Jesus, that we can spend our whole lives being victims of corrupt power. But when we allow you to invite us to see your heart as it truly is, we find real power, power that is pure, power that is perfect, power that brings peace, And power, Lord, that fulfills every promise in our hearts that we can't speak but know exists. You are perfect power, Jesus. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for without it, Lord, I would never have come to repentance. It's your kindness that opened me up to realize that I didn't want to live without you. I didn't want to leave separated from you. Your kindness invited me to see your nature and your nature is transforming me even as I stand here. Lord, your ways are not our ways. And whatever we think power looks like in this world, and you know and I know that every time I turn the telly on, there's someone vying for it, someone protesting they have it, someone telling me how to get it. All over this planet, Lord God, we're obsessed with power. And yet right here, In the simplicity of this moment, there is the one who is omnipotent, the one who is all-powerful, right here. And I don't demand of you that you use your power to bring revenge to my life. I don't demand of you, Lord God, that you demonstrate your power because I happen to ask or presume that that's what you want. I simply say, God, have your way in me. Let your wonder-working power work from the inside out, transforming my lowly body until somehow, in some way, through that miraculous, powerful work, it becomes like you. Jesus, I thank you that you didn't come as others have come to dominate.
but you have come to orchestrate. And you want to orchestrate a moment of tenderness where people can connect with you, the God who loves them, and the God who will heal, and the God who will restore every part of their lives. Every chain is broken, Jesus. Hearts are being set free in your presence. The marks of oppression and abuse are being healed by the power of love and delight. And God, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for all you bring. And we thank you, Jesus, that when we see you, you take our breath away and everything about you, Lord Jesus, is an answer to every question within us. Lord, as we prepare for Easter, I pray that you would abide with us in ever-increasing measure, that we would be so captivated by you, gentle, beautiful, pure, and yet powerful. Come, Lord Jesus. And we pray this prayer together to mark this moment of consecration. It's our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us, Lot, into being tempted, Lord, by the evil one. For thine is the glory, the power forever. Thine is the glory, power and authority forever and ever. Kingdoms have come and kingdoms have gone. But you are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. Slave masters have come and slave masters have gone. But the only slavery we have to you is heart to heart. For God, our hearts long for more of you and you long for all of us. Oppression has been our reality. Suppression has been our currency, Lord. But I pray today in Jesus' name, Lord, that you will set us free from every essence of domineering power, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, O oh God. Every shackle gone, whether they be internal or external, right now in the name of Jesus, every shackle, everything that binds, every legacy from the past, every manipulation and control, which is indeed the spirit of witchcraft, we bind it in the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we say, who the Son sets free, why don't you say that out loud over your life? Who the Son sets free is free indeed. God bless you, church. Enjoy him.